0: going to finish today. I know you've wondered if we ever would. We're going to finish this Now What series that we've been in since Christmas. And the Now What is the idea of the incarnation uh, of Jesus uh, becoming flesh and the scriptures we read back at Christmas, God is with us, Emmanuel. And I know that on this week, uh, you know, we're going to be moving toward an extremely important event, obviously, uh, the uh, crucifixion and resurrection uh, but what i 've tried to do is in that interim period, because really, um, after uh, Christmas uh, <clears throat> on the church calendar there 's a good deal of discussion about now, after Jesus is here, God is with us, what what did he do in his life? Uh, some have argued that that if we 're not careful that we live our Christian life at Christmas and Easter we 're really celebrating his birth and his coming and then his death and resurrection, but His life, his teaching, and some of the other things that come in that interim period, we're not as excited about, not as interested in. And uh, I don't know if that's actually true, but I know uh, there are those that argue that there needs to be a little more attention given to now that he's come, now what? Okay, God is with us now. What? So we looked at that, and we gone into some uh, detail. And on your outline there, uh, you'll see that that uh, this uh, kind of attempt to understand that. So we've looked at that because of Jesus coming. He dealt with the disturbance between human beings and God, between humans and God. Uh, if you're again, if you're interested, we record a class, and you can go back and listen to some of those. But the disturbance that we discussed and looked at was really, I think there are two areas and we tried to spend a good deal of time in that disturbance was the area of forgiveness, which is certain that human beings have failed to live according to God's will. And we've all fallen, fallen short of that, the glory of God, the glory of God in human beings. Uh, and then not only uh, forgiveness, which gets a lot of attention, gets a lot of attention. You know, we talk about being forgiven. Uh, Jesus died on the cross for our sin. That's all true. But there's another dimension to that that we looked at, and it's reconciliation. Uh, that 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 the disturbance that was between us, um, in one sense, certainly we've had our sins dealt with, but now we've been reconciled to God. Uh, one author <clears throat> maybe makes it like this: that, that what Jesus did, he not only forgave us our failures, but he made us his friends. <laughs> made us his friends. I I'm, a, I'm I'm I you know I I talk to my students and others and And there is a sense in which at times, which I think that people think of Jesus' death and his resurrection as just a matter of forgiveness, and uh, my students at least have been honest with me to talk about it to say that there isn't always that friendship dimension it might be it might be it might be manifest like this: I know that what i 'm about to do is wrong, and I know I shouldn't do it, but God will forgive me and so i 've asked them that try that with your friends. <laughs> Try that. Try try that with your friends. Now, their friends aren't God, but I think it speaks to the point that sometimes if we're not careful, if we just celebrate Christmas and and Easter, and around here, you know, we're going to celebrate another day. What's that? Pentecost. Pentecost. I'm going to make that argument later or discussion that that is the goal of everything God's up to. That's the goal. You got Christmas, you got Easter. If you don't got, I'm from Texas. If you don't got Pentecost, you don't got it, <clears throat> okay? So write that down. <clears throat> you can quote me on that. <clears> that You don't got it because Jesus said all of that, wait, it's not done yet. So, so, so the understanding here <clears throat> of, of, of really reconciliation, and I really just want to encourage you, you might think about in this uh, season to, to spend some time even looking that word up and, and discussing <clears throat> or looking at it and understanding it. That we're not only forgiven, but we're friends, and to me, that's an important distinction—not only forgiven, but friends. So that, thats dealing with that disturbance. The second one that we dealt with was deliverance from the domain of darkness, and uh, and we spent—pardon me—we spent a good deal of time on that because uh, it's my assertion that uh, when Jesus came and was God with us incarnated, uh, he began. Uh, if you will, with his first sermon. He said, the governance of God is here. The governance of God. And what that governance, or that, he uses the word kingdom, <clears throat> it means to rule or to have authority over. I like, to, I like the word governance. It has a little more ring to it for me. That, that The first sermon in, in Mark 1, 14, Jesus finding out that John was now in prison, began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is here. The time is fulfilled. And so Jesus comes, if you will, in this incarnation, God with us, to bring about the governance of God, to deal with the domain of darkness. Uh, <clears throat> I'd say this, and I, I want to be careful because, you know, people get the wrong impression here. But, but Jesus really does n- come to do battle with the kingdom of darkness. He, he, he's really coming to do battle. A lot of the language that's used, uh, kingdom, rule, Lord, all of those terms are uh, an attempt to say that Jesus is here to deal with the kingdom of darkness. Remember we said there are two things you see more clearly in the kingdom of light that Jesus brought that you don't see in the kingdom of darkness. And that's number one, we see God more clearly and we see ourselves more clearly. When we're in the dark, we can't, we can't really see that well. And the kingdom of darkness is going to cloud and make us have incorrect and false ideas about God. He doesn't love us. He's mad at us. you got to earn it. And in the kingdom of darkness, we don't see ourselves right. I'm no good. I'm not that. Instead of in the kingdom of light saying, I'm created in the image of God. I'm created. You are too. You can't lose that. You can't do anything about it, whether you like it or not. (laughs) You're created in the image of God. And we see that in the kingdom of God or the governance of God because it's called the kingdom of light. So we see that. So so the notion here of, of that matter. So as I was thinking this through and working this, through, we're going to get this third one that we'll, we'll conclude this study today, and I think it's appropriate, in Holy Week. I didn't plan this. <clears throat> I just go slow. <laughs> yeah. We're going to do something later after Holy Week <clears throat> or Easter. And uh, <clears throat> the, 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 this kind of, if you will, confrontation <clears throat> of Jesus with us when we say God with us, Emmanuel, this confrontation with the kingdom of darkness, <clears throat> this, this confrontation of the disturbance, it uh, reminds me of, of Holy Week, obviously, that we're about to enter. And <clears throat> I uh, was thinking about this, that Emmanuel, God with us, the kingdom of God, is now at a pitch fever with the kingdom of darkness and its values. And we'll see that this week. What's amazing is the kingdom of darkness finds its way sometimes in religion, religious leaders. It's fascinating to me. um, You know, um, um, when you read the Gospels, I've been reading through them again this uh, last couple of months, and read through the Gospels, what's glaringly true in Luke is that every time Jesus is brought before Pilate or Herod or any procurator, they say, he's not guilty. That's a fascinating thing that every authority and every person has the power to give him death. Says He's not guilty. And the only reason is they shake Pilate up because they're, he's afraid they're going gonna, to gonna, gonna cause a, a, a riot. And, and that the darkness has settled in to religion. That's where the darkness is now located. Now, listen, Rome was dark. They had their own issues. But in this particular case, the, the realm of darkness has settled in into a religious area. Now, don't, don't, don't get too high a horse here, you know. Like I say, I'm from Texas. Uh, <clears throat> that can happen to us, you know. I love what John Wooden said, and I think it comes back to this notion, it's what you learn after you know everything that makes all the difference. <laughs> Listen, darkness can settle into us when we think we know it all, and we got it all figured out. Just think about that. It's, it's what you learn after you know everything it makes all the difference. Well, the Jews, the religious leaders, they knew it all. They had it all figured out. And they decided this is what they do. So, so here is this God with us. And so I, I just thought, of, I just remind you of a couple of things. Number here's a, here's a picture. Uh, I didn't take this. <laughs> My drone did. No. <laughs> I just want to give you a little, little, little location here. Jesus, <clears throat> in this time <clears throat> of of him with us, he he's over here in Bethany, which this is the Mount of Olives. This is kind of a high ridge right here in Jerusalem. I don't know if I mentioned you not, but I've been to Israel once. I think I mentioned, <clears throat> I think I mentioned that once. <clears throat> yeah, I do. Uh, <clears throat> and then this is Bethpage, and this is where Jesus was with Mary and Lazarus and all those. And <clears throat> on this coming day <clears throat> of the Triumphal Entry, this we celebrate it today. <clears throat> this. God with us, this king, this one who is doing battle with the kingdom of darkness, is about this thing is about to hit a fever pitch. And what's interesting is, is Jesus is going to go up here this way over the top of the Mount of Olives into here. Let me, let me give you a couple of things. You know this, but Jesus is doing a couple of things that would cause a fever pitch. Number one, he's riding on a donkey. Now, David, the greatest king... In Israel, rode on a donkey. When he <clears throat> when he began to have his son Solomon to begin to be king, <clears throat> he put him on a donkey. In the ancient world, at least in Israel, donkeys are considered to be animals of royalty. Now <clears throat> it's different because in Rome it's a war horse. You know, it's a stomping, spitting stallion. <clears throat> you know, but in Israel among the among the Jews. This notion of a donkey is is a regal, royal beast. In Zechariah chapter 9, you go back and read this later. In Zechariah chapter 9 verses 9 to 17, this is predicted. That the Messiah will come on the back of a donkey. He will ride in on the back of a donkey. And so this kind of understanding of this, if you will, this Fever pitch now of what 's happening and how that Jesus God with us is bringing this thing to a fever pitch now he 's on a donkey. everybody knows this verse or this passage second thing you 'll notice here he 's uh coming across the Mount of olives now right up here there 's a uh, some thing on the top of it, and some of you' all have been to Israel, you know this. Uh, there is actually a, um, a little chapel there <clears throat> called the Chapel of the Ascension where they believe, it's thought, that Jesus ascended back to heaven there uh, <clears throat> in that spot. Um, and <clears throat> so there's a little chapel there. It's, it's a really nice little thing. I, I've got a picture of Becky in there and Dan Reinecke pointing like this, and you know, um, <clears throat> like he knows what he's talking about. <clears throat> and um, Dan's not here, but he might listen to this. But anyway... Uh, Uh, And so Jesus ascended. Now, if you remember, there's something about this place, the Mount of Olives, that in the Jewish mind, this is where the Messiah will come down. So here's Jesus on a donkey, the royal steed of the king. He's coming across the top, if you will, of the Mount of Olives to indicate or to fulfill that the Messiah's coming. Now, here's kind of the route. I, I give it to you again right here. That when he gets right up here to about the Mount of Olives, the top of it, gets right about to the top of it, there's only one gate over here. It's called the Golden Gate. Some would call it the gate beautiful. It's typically understood as the Eastern Gate. I'll show you something about that here in a second. But this is this, again, this is waging, if you will, conflict with the kingdom of darkness. Jesus is announcing himself, I'm the king. I'm taking the route that the Messiah comes. And when they get to the top, this is why probably the people start laying palm branches down and start singing, because this is not exact, this is the west side. I, I took this picture um, at the top of Mount Scopus. Uh, Hebrew University is back behind there. And, but it, it, it illustrates this idea when they came and crested the top, of the Mount of Olives, you see the holy city. Now, I want to tell you, when we went to Israel uh, a few years ago, um, we, we landed at the airport, went up to Caesarea, drove around, um, spent some time up uh, in Caesarea, came back down. We were really tired. Um, and Dan was driving us. He, he, he knew, and I, I didn't know where we were. Uh, it's amazing. I Somebody told me that when you go there, God will do something for you that you don't anticipate. And all the time we're driving to Jerusalem and everything is up. You're going up. You're going up to Jerusalem. Everything's lower there. The verse in Psalm, I lift up my eyes from whence come my strength, uh, to the hills from whence cometh my strength, my strength cometh from God, who will uh, guard you by day and night, the arrow by day and the pestilence by night. Um, Didn't think anything about that. I'm not an Old Testament guy. I mean, really not. I kind of, in the New Testament, uh, and... I've been to the mountains before, you know, so calm down. <clears throat> I've seen hills before, and I didn't make anything of it. I just thought, that's interesting, that's interesting, that's interesting. Um, this is what those people with Jesus would be singing, because anytime anyone went to Jerusalem, they're called songs of ascent. When I got back to the room, I looked it up. I about fell to my knees. Because when I got out of the car, you couldn't see this. It was in a big parking area. And whenever I walked over, when you get to the edge, boom, there it is right there. I went down almost and just wept of seeing the holy city. Think about being with Jesus with him riding a donkey, coming down from the Mount of Olives. You just crest the top of the Mount of Olives, and you see the holy city in its splendor. This is Jesus announcing, making himself known to those, I'm the king, and I've come to drive out the kingdom of darkness wherever I find it. We celebrate that today. We celebrate that. Now, it is fascinating to me. Here is... the eastern gate. That would have been back here uh, on this temple. It would be right here. That's uh, the eastern gate. We have pretty good evidence to believe that's where Jesus came in. That also is part of the understanding of the Messiah. That when the Messiah comes in from the Mount of Olives on a donkey, he'll come through the eastern gate. Now this is kind of interesting to me. Because in 1541, Saladin, the Ottoman king who conquered um, Jerusalem, knowing that the Messiah will come through the eastern gate, plugs it up. Yeah, (laughs) that'll stop him. So in 1541, there is still the thought, if the Messiah comes, he's coming through this gate. There's also a graveyard in front so that the Messiah would. Here's what's interesting. Even in Islam, they believe the Messiah is coming. That's why they did this. The news is they were 1,500 years late. <laughs> right? That's a, to me, that's a testament to the belief of the Messiah. When I was in Israel, I saw that. I thought, that's a testament to the belief of the Messiah. Yeah, he's a real deal, and we don't want him in. We don't want him to come. So, so all of this hitting a fever pitch now because Jesus is going to deal with the kingdom of darkness. How will he do it? Well, <clears throat> we've seen, I think it may be on your, I don't know if it's on your outline. I, I've, I've taken a note, naps and sin. <clears throat> I said right here, we've seen in this Emmanuel, this God with us, that he declared his invasion the governance of God against the kingdom of darkness. He taught about his kingdom. He healed diseases. He forgave sins. He raised the dead. But what does it mean that God is with us? I I think it means this for me. For God to be with us, he must take on what it means to be us. If God is with us, or for God to be with us, he must take on what it means to be us. Now, I, I know we, we we think about this, and I, and I don't want to think a little further. That, that Jesus took on humanity completely. Paul says in Philippians two that he emptied himself and he took up on the form of a servant. So this identity, this this matter of Jesus being with us, is not simply geography. He's not just on the earth. He is with us because he knows what it means to be us fully, fully. I I remember some time ago I was in a a meeting, and um, we're discussing this about Jesus, and I think this is where the disconnect is. Um, The question was asked, could Jesus have actually sinned by temptation? And the answer generally is, of course not. And I said, that's not true, or he wasn't tempted. You bet he could have, because Jesus took fully on the human experience. He, did, he never ceased to be God. Let me help you here real quick. What he did was, Paul says there in Philippians 2, you can look at this, when it says he emptied, it's the word kenosis, he emptied himself and took up on the form of a servant, being made in the, in the likeness of men, became a servant. Here's what he did. He never ceased being God. He emptied himself of his power for himself. He still calmed those seas. He still raised the dead. He still had the power of God, but he refused to use it for himself. He emptied. It says there, he did not think of being God, something to be grasped or held onto. So Jesus said, I'll enter this experience completely. I'm still, the word is ontologically, I'm still ontologically, or I'm still fully God, but I will not use any of that power for me, ever. He emptied. Again, he didn't cease being God. So he, to be with us, he's got to take on what it means to be us. So if Jesus could not have sinned, if he could, then it's all kabuki theater. It's Just a joke. He was never tempted. The devil couldn't have made him sin. It was never a deal. He wasn't fighting. It's no big deal. He couldn't have done it. Did you think about that? That's because to be with us, he had to be us. Be with us. He took on all of humanity. He took it all. He experienced all of it, all of humanity. We're going to look here. uh, Go in your Bible, your table of contents. Find the book of Hebrews. We're going to look at this and try to work this out because I want to get to this last thing. In Hebrews eleven forty-eight in my Bible, um, we're going to look here in chapter. Uh, get over here. Got my notes in front of me. Four. I'm sorry. Char- yeah, yeah. Uh, Hebrews chapter four, verse fifteen. We're going to just start there for a second. Well, start at fourteen. That's where the passage actually begins. Four fourteen. Hebrews four fourteen. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. Why? But one who has been tempted in all things as we were yet without sin. Then look at chapter 5, <clears throat> verse 8. There's a couple of verses here in the Bible. Again, I've told you before I wouldn't believe them unless they're in the Bible. I wouldn't believe them. They're, they're too crazy. Look at Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7. In the days of his flesh, he offered up both prayers and supplications with loud crying and tears to the one able to save him from death and was heard because of piety. And although he was a son, he learned obedience. Son of God here. He learned obedience through that which he suffered. I wish we had a little time for that because I think what the writer is attempting to do here is to show the dependence of Jesus. The reason Jesus lived the way he did is he completely depended on his father in suffering and difficulty and everything. Then watch this, verse 9. And having been made, what's that word there? Perfect. Huh? Having been made? Perfect. The word there means complete, fully developed, fully grown. You, you, you mean Jesus had to be fully grown? In his humanity. What this means is he experienced everything thing. You and I do. He experienced everything. He was made perfect. And by that, he became all to all of those who obey them the source of eternal salvation. Listen, this, this, this idea of God becoming flesh, this idea of God becoming man, is a scandal in the ancient world. This is not easy to hear. I mean, we've been Christians too long. This is nuts. The idea that That God in His Son, Jesus Christ, became completely human. It's the Nicene Creed. It's the idea of of Jesus taking on all of humanity. Why? For God to be with us, He must take on what it means to be us. And this is the glory and the wonder of it. Now, one other thing, and we'll move on. I I want us to get to the specifics. God with us is going to do one more thing for us. God with us is going to do one more thing for us. As you're writing that, it's kind of a silly thing maybe, but it illustrates, you know, there's a lot of talk nowadays about mindfulness, you know, being present. I understand that, you know. I... I, had a person say one time, and it really hurt me, uh, they said, uh, basically, Cliff, I think, well, uh, the idea was, I think that uh, you're not listening, you're waiting to talk. That's <laughs> uh, probably true. <laughs> you know, a person that's just waiting to talk is not listening. They're not mindful. They're not there, right? H- have you ever had that happen around people that they're present, they're, they're, they're geographically located where you are, but they're not there, right? They're not there. I I look at students all the time, and I'll say, you know, this could be on the test. What? (laughs) I know. Welcome back to class. (laughs) Right, Eric? Eric knows that. Any teacher, you know, welcome back to class. Now, they're geographically there, but they're not there. They're not mindful. This idea of Jesus, not just geographically being here in a body, But being here in all of that human existence. Why? Here's what I want to say we're going to. This last one. To destroy death. To destroy death. Jesus as Emmanuel, God with us, is to destroy death. Remember what are the wages of sin? Death. What is it that human beings need to be done with. The sin that we've committed is the it is the means. The consequence is death. That's why the church fathers, Athanasius and others, have said: if sin was the only problem that human beings had, repentance would fix it. But it won't. If sin was the only problem that human beings had, repentance. And getting your life straightened out would fix it. But Athanasius said in his great work on the incarnation, but it's death that human beings have to have dealt with. That Jesus took on the kingdom of darkness to destroy death. Now, back up in Hebrews. We're going to look at this. Spend some time here in Hebrews chapter 2. In Hebrews chapter 2, this has been, I've made a couple of comments on this before, but this is by, by and far, uh, again, let me let me remind you again. I just want to say, remember, before the cross, and I'm not saying the cross had anything to do with it, but before the cross, did Jesus forgive people? Yes. yes. So could he forgive people before the cross? Yes. Okay. So there must be something else going on in the cross besides forgiveness. I'm not saying it's part of it. But I'll tell you what Dallas Willard says about it. Now, he's the only person who can say this. And you might get mad at me for him saying it. But Dallas Willard says that people that do not recognize the cross for what it is, it is, it is this matter of Jesus entering into the human existence to the dregs, to the bottom of it, to say, I'm going to go in here and I'm going to choke the last enemy out called death. That's what he did. Willard says, Christians that only have an interest in forgiveness in Jesus' blood. He calls them vampire Christians. Now, that's ugly. Willard says, those Christian people who are only interested in Jesus' blood to forgive them and get them to heaven, I'll read it to you, but not transfuse them into a life of power and victory, Willard calls them vampire Christians. He's saying this, I want a little of the blood, but I don't, want any, I don't want any transformation. And all I think you did was forgive me on the cross instead of, you did that, but you could, you could forgive me before that. Okay, I know this is hard to balance out. I'm not saying that at the cross, Jesus did not die for our sins and ra- I'm telling you, he did this before he got to the cross. So there's something else in addition to that, not negating that, But we've looked at it too narrowly that Jesus went to the cross to choke out death, the great enemy of human beings. This is why the early church faced death and martyrdom and torture, singing. Why? They weren't afraid of it anymore. Look here in in Hebrews. Now you're back in Hebrews 14, chapter 2, verse 14. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14. Therefore, since the children, human beings, Share in flesh and blood. He likewise also partook of the same. That through death, he might forgive us. What? Look at that. Destroy or render powerless him who had the power of death. This is interesting. Now, this makes me sound smarter than I really am. I got good resources. (laughs) Notice what it says here. He he took on flesh and blood. He took this on so that through death, through death, he's dying. Jesus, through death, that's the means or the basis. He might render powerless him who had the power of death. That is the devil. He says, don't miss this. In in grammar, it's called epanileptic construction. It refers to what preceded he's saying this, he destroyed, rendered powerless, he who had the power of death. Oh, okay, don't miss it. That is the devil. So what did Jesus do? It says right here, through death, Jesus killed death by dying. The church fathers, would would he say this, he trampled over death by death. St. Athanasius, there are some strange thoughts about this, but there are some ideas that St. Athanasius says and other church fathers of the first four centuries would say that Jesus tricked the devil thinking he could kill him. He destroyed. He rendered powerless. The Greek word there in the American Standard says powerless or destroyed. It means to make idle and void. It means to make idle and void. <clears throat> when I thought about this, when it said he was made, now now he, he destroyed him who had the power. Think about it. In, in 1 John, by the way, we're going to do some work in there in a few months or a few few weeks or a few days. or We don't know. We'll start someday. We'll let you know. We're going to work through 1 John. It's a great book. In 1 John, I've been off a week in Florida. You know, so. When it says there, uh, that he would destroy he who has the power. In 1 John chapter 3, it says, and for this reason, the Son of God came, that he might destroy the works of the devil. I think it's been way too limited. I think we thought that's just going to make people quit sinning. I, 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 th- I, I think we just think that, 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 that God is so tore up about that, and he is concerned about that. But what God wants to destroy is death. That's the thing that sin brought into the universe in Eden that God never wanted. The wages of sin is that he's got to deal with that. Death entered into this universe contrary to God's plan. And Jesus comes to destroy the one who had the power of death. That is the devil. He brought him out in victory or he came out in victory. Notice it says here, so Notice, he said the power. To, verse fifteen, that he might free those who, through the fear of death, were subject to slavery all their lives. Listen, I think Descartes is right, the French existentialist who said this great existential dread that every human being carries is the fear of death. I remember one of my professors, we, I had a class on death and dying, and they made us talk about her on death. I was 36 years old. I won't talk about that. You know? Wow, 36. That was a while ago, wasn't it? That just gets depressing. I can invert that. 63. <laughs> and I remember he made us write. He made us write. About our own death. And remember how discombobulating that was. And then he said this. If you're like the great existential philosophers. What if. And he said this is the dread. What if when you die. You don't even exist. That was even more frightening to me. Descartes. Others have said the great dread. Is death. And Jesus here. Comes to free us. So that we don't have to dread it, that He freed them who, for all their life, He said, who were for they might free them through fear of death, were subject to slavery all their lives. All their lives. I don't know about you, but as I get older, I still have to remember this. I, there are times when I think about the end of my life, and to remember, wait a minute, Jesus rose from the dead. He killed death. He destroyed it. So the the scripture tells us that it's the last enemy. In 1 Corinthians 15, go read it later. The last enemy is death that Jesus destroys. Verse 17, look at that, or verse 16. For assuredly, he does not give help to angels, you know, but he gives help to the descendants of Abraham. Now be careful here. Go read Romans chapter 4. That the descendants of Abraham are not uh, not uh, uh, get my brain working here. They're, it's not uh, race; it's grace. All those who have the faith of Abraham are the children of Abraham. So go back and read Romans four, then read Romans Romans nine. You'll get it. So he says he does not give help to angels, but he gives help to the descendants of Abraham. Verse seventeen. Therefore, he had. To be made like his brethren. That just makes me want to stop. What? He had to be made like his brethren in all things so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the things pertaining to God and to make propitiation for the sins of the people. That word there, he had to be, it's a translation from the term he, it, it, it was his obligation. That's what the word means to owe or to be obliged. Why? So that he might destroy death, the last enemy. Now, I want you to go one more time go to go to your right. You don't have to go to your table of contents, go to your right. <clears throat> We're going to finish with this. Go to the book of Revelation. I'm just saying, when Jesus died, when we celebrate that on Friday, there's a whole lot going on here than just to make you a nice person. There's a whole lot more going on here than just getting people to live right. There is a cosmic war that went on, to where Jesus came and destroyed death. And on Easter morning, we'll celebrate that because He'll prove it. He say, "I look at this. This these words." Verse Chapter 1 of Revelation, verse 17. And when I saw him, this is John, I fell at his feet like a dead man. And he placed his hand on me, saying, Do not be afraid. I'm the first and the last and the living one. And I was dead. And behold, I'm alive forever. And I have the keys of death and Hades. Can you imagine hearing that? You imagine falling before Jesus as dead? And he puts his hand on you and says, Don't be afraid. Listen, here let's work through it. He said, I'm the first and I'm the last. I'm the living one and I was dead. But I have the keys of death and Hades. I'm in charge now. I'm in charge. I destroyed death, and you can trust me now. The word keys here, I'm just going to work through this here just a little bit. Um, or I'll read this here. He said, I'm the living one. So now, because Jesus has died, we can, remember in John 14, he says, because I live, what? You shall also live. Live. Look at that. Back here in John 14. I I didn't have that on there. I just remembered it. So I want to look at it. Look right here. He says in John uh, 14 where Jesus is talking to his disciples. He's fixing to die. It's right here in my Bible. (laughs) Because I read it and know it and have read it before. This is uncomfortable. (laughs) It is in here. (laughs) Did I get the wrong chapter? Well, you can look it up. That'd be good homework, huh? 19 of 14. Thank you, David. I knew I had somebody here to help me. Yeah, there it is. And a little while, the world will see me no longer, but you will see me because I live, you will live also. That's because I live. I am the living one. Notice here in um, Revelation, I have the keys. Now, in the ancient world, many ancient people thought that the realms of the spiritual destiny were entered through doors, and the gods and angelic beings and demons had the keys to them. Really, so so if you're going to get into the, you're going to get into the spiritual realms, there are these gods and demons and angels. And I've got a whole list here if you're interested of all the different religions of the people who have keys. They have keys. Jesus says here, I have the keys of death and Hades. What is Hades? Hades is the abode of the dead. In this situation, Jesus makes the statement that I have authority over. I've conquered it. I have the keys to death and Hades. In Greek mythology, Hades was a god who ruled the underworld and all the dead, the house of Hades. In the intertestamental period, the Jews prophesied Hades was an intermediate place where souls of the dead awaited judgment. In the New Testament, Jesus' own words are waging war with this when he says, I will build my church and what? The gates of Hades, I've already got these on here, will not prevail. The gates of Hades will not prevail. So let me finish this. Uh, If if this was a junior boy class, I would show you the clip, but it's too hard to see. How did Jesus do this? By being with us and taking on humanity in every, every dimension. He choked death out when he killed it in a movie with Tommy Lee Jones called Men in Black. See, I already lost you. I could bring you back if I show you the clip. If you remember, maybe you don't. Maybe you're a Christian and you didn't see it. I've just heard about it in my research. Stupidest movie I think I've ever seen. If you remember, at one point in the movie... Tommy Lee Jones and then this one fighting this huge cockroach. In fact, I saw one of those in my apartment in Houston one day, so I wasn't scared when I saw it. Yeah, bigger in Texas. You remember that Tommy Lee and Will are there, and somehow that cockroach eats Tommy Lee's gun. Right? And he starts... Yelling at him. Eat me. Will thinks he's crazy. He does. And when he does, what does Tommy Lee do? He blows him up from where? The inside. It's exactly what Jesus did. He went into the depths of human Experience. He, he, go ahead, kill me, kill me, come on, kill me. No one takes my life away from me, nobody takes my life. I lay it down willingly. Go ahead, come on, come on, take it. This is where Athanasius, another side, he tricked, come on, take me, I dare you, take you, take me. What did Jesus do? He blew this place up from the inside and he stands up with the keys of hell and Hades, of death and Hades, and said, this is why I came. I came to wage war. I didn't come here to be, pat you on the head, be nice, although you ought to be nice. I didn't come here just to forgive you, though you need your sins forgiven. I didn't just come here to make a religious system. I didn't come here just to get you. I came here to kill the thing that is destroying humanity. So, he killed death. This is Emmanuel with us in the solidarity of our humanity and experience. I'm not saying death isn't still frightening. Nobody likes it. Nobody enjoys it. But we have the confidence from Jesus that he said, I got the keys. You can come on. I got the keys. I'm in charge. And you can come on with. This Good Friday, we remember that Jesus willingly sent his life to the cross For one reason, or many, that's not true, many reasons. That is that he might destroy death and deliver us from the fear of it. So Josh Butler makes a great statement. This is the gates of Hades. It's an actual place where in Israel people believe that all the demon world and everything came right out of there. It's up by Caesarea Philippi. It's when Jesus said to Peter, I'm going to build my church. And the gates of Hades can never prevail against it because I'm the one who killed death. And I think it this way. We ought to think of it this way. The cross is not happening to Jesus. Jesus is happening to the cross. That's a, that's a different way to look at it. To say, look, this, this this isn't some victim up here. This isn't somebody up here that's, some victim of terrible brutality of the Roman government. Certainly he's brutality. But the cross didn't happen to Jesus. Jesus is happening to the cross. And he takes that instrument of death and says, I am victorious. Here's what I want you to think about this week. What if this week you confess the statement below? What if, you, what if during this holy week, I think that's on your outline. I don't know if it's on here or not. Maybe it is, maybe it isn't, isn't. What if this week you confess the statement below as you remember Good Friday and anticipate Easter, that the cross is not happening to Jesus, but Jesus is happening to the cross. And when we see this, we know what he's doing. Let's pray. Being with us, Lord Jesus, has taken on a whole, maybe more complete understanding I'm sure I don't understand it completely. I'm sure none of us do. But this has stretched us and caused us to think of how that simple phrase, you shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. We are so grateful for your willingness to destroy death, to deliver us from the kingdom of darkness to deal with the disturbance between us of sin and reconciliation. We are debtors in so many ways. Help us to live out this life that you have, of victory, of power, that you are the one who possesses the keys. May we live our lives this week, especially this week, this holy week, remembering that as you came to Jerusalem, the pitch of the battle began In a way that had never been before. And that you rose victorious. We want you to help us with this, Jesus. To live this out in our daily lives. Even, Lord, with some of our family and friends that may be close to death. As they linger and as they are in the throes of it. Help us to encourage them to know that the gospel, the good news is... Because I live, you're going to live. Because I have the keys of death and Hades, you'll live. Help us to be a comfort to ourselves and to others in this matter. We pray this in the strong and mighty name of Jesus. Amen. God with us.